Welcome, friends, to Game Master's Studio, where we talk shop about running tabletop role-playing games. With us today is Jared and Ed, with your host, Jerry. Hello, and welcome to Game Master Studio, a podcast where we'll be talking about tabletop role-playing games and tips and tricks that you can use to help bring your game up to the next level. Today's topic, we're going to be starting our how-to series, talking about various genres and how to bring that style to life at your table and emulate their uh, their quirks and tricks. My name is Jerry, a.k.a. Frieden, host and moderator for today. With me in the studio, we have Jared, a.k.a. DMF, proprietor of Mad Doc Designs, creator of the World of Wrath and semi-professional DM, and Ed. Hey, did you guys know that you can attack the chickens in the Legend of Zelda games? I know what I'm doing later. All right, so we are going in, and we're not going to spoil that surprise for him. We are going in on the uh, first how-to for today, uh, action. So we're going to be t- let's talk a little bit about you know your 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 romping, rollicking action sequence type uh, settings and set pieces and games yeah. to run for your players. What tips and tricks? Do you guys use? Do you think would be best to start getting people into that that action style? Well, I think uh, when I think an action game or like an action genre based game, you know, like thinking again like D and D style. Um, I just kind of think like first thing that comes to my mind is like you know your kind of your typical hack and slash, just kind of like you know keeping up the pace. I think is like going to be your your big concern. You don't want to slow the game down. Um, yeah. You know, I know with hack and slash, you can you know sometimes combat can seem slow, especially like in the D and D game system. But what I would do is I'd probably like simplify things a little bit. Um, you know, I would round damage up. Like if you say a player does ten damage, but the monster has twelve hit points, I would just round it to the twelve, and like monsters die off more quickly and efficiently. Um, you know, because what's the two hit points? What's it going to do? You know, it's a twelve hit point friggin' monster. Just let it die. You know, just just it keeps the pace up, keeps things moving. Because combat, even though combat seems like your number one action point, act, you know, combat can be one of the slowest parts of the game mechanically, mm-hmm. just because there's lots of numbers and there's lots of rolling. Yeah. So you really want to do anything you can to speed that up. I mean, I have the advantage, you know, like all we use D twenty Pro, which is you know a virtual tabletop thing that helps speed things up a lot. Um, but not everyone has virtual tabletops. So anything you can do to speed up, you know, the, you know, like group up, you know, roll monsters by say you have a small uh, group of goblins, small group of orcs, and a small group of kobolds, roll them as a group, <clears throat> and just use like an average die roll. You can even use like mass combat, you know, things where basically you're using averages. Okay, say you have ten orcs. On average, they're going to hit fifty percent of the time. So I know right off the bat, in theory, about five orcs are going to hit. And on average, they do three damage a piece. So, okay, boom, I'm going to have five orcs hit for three damage, boom, and just have those numbers ready to go. You don't even need to roll. You know, that's a kind of a mass combat kind of or so, you know, way to simplify combat. Yeah. And just boom things through. Be like, don't take rolls away from your players, but just, you know, take advantage of rounding up their damage. If it means, you know, the difference between, you know, one or two hit points is going to kill off a monster, just keep the, but keep the pace. I think that's just a yeah. big thing. Like, keep the pace up, keep the combat moving. Another way to keep you know the combat moving is to you know add in like more descriptive combat or role play out the combat a little bit more. Because then even if the combat itself is slow, the pace at the table feels high. 
And keep in mind that as the DM, you're often running half of the game yourself, and the other half is being split between all of the other players at the table. If you have a party of six adventurers facing off against six orcs, each player is generally managing one adventurer, whereas the DM, you're managing all six of those orcs. Right. So you just have to keep in mind that you're going to have to keep a much more brutal pace than your players are, so you do have to keep that ahead of time. Be planned, be ready. A lot of the newer systems now that have come out do have those average numbers already being printed in the entries on there so that you can take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'd say if, if you if you practice it, if you've done it before, you can actually do mass combats and not have it take forever. Um, I uh, I do this. Now, when we used, we actually recently had a game where there was D20 Pro involved in a mass combat, and that helped it go smooth. That was super smooth. Yeah, I'm bragging. I've been bragging about that. <laughs> but that, but that, but also I've had. Now I haven't had quite as many figures on the board, uh, but I've had mass combats before. I've had you know twenty or so bandits going up against my group, and uh, you know if you're good at compartmentalizing, you can be like, okay, these guys are going to move up, and these guys are going to attack, and it's like, well, this many's going to attack at once. And what I'll do is I'll just pick up all the d20s I need and just roll them all at once. You know, and they're, you know, they're all bandits, so they all have like a plus four or five to hit. So, you know, I know, okay, well, you know, against this guy, it's a 16 AC. So anything 12 or less misses, D6 plus three for anything that hits. Um, It takes some practice, but you can get actually pretty quick at that. So I would suggest if you are going the tabletop route, you do want to put kind of a a mass battle in there. Go into it knowing it's going to take some time. But if you practice it, if you prepare for it, if you, you know, make sure that you are on the ball so that when it's the turn for the bad guys to go, you get that turnover as quickly as possible, that's going to keep the pace up for the rest of the group. Cause you can, so you can say, okay, I spent a few minutes on this and calculated the damage, and then bam, okay, player, it's back to your turn, and go around the, around the initiative and let them do their thing to whittle down the bad guys. Yeah, and mass combat, I think, is something that is very common to come up mm-hmm. in these action-style games because everything is supposed to be big and grand and over-the-top, and you really can't get much more over-the-top than, you know, this huge fight, hundreds of participants. Yes. Um, I think with some of the stuff you were saying, you would almost be... Uh, you'd almost have a good benefit by looking to tactical wargaming Yep. where they can treat units of you know 15 20 c- characters as a single you know figure they move together they take damage together and then you know as they take more damage they reduce yeah. move them in squads and groups and stuff yeah right and I think that that will speed things up, up instead of going okay this guy went this guy goes now this guy goes now this guy goes now PC goes now this guy goes exactly. now this guy goes now PC number two goes yeah. you know instead of like boom squad moved you go boom squad moved you go boom squad moved you go okay right. boom okay now back to top of round two I will, I will say without like a virtual program like the D20 Pro, um, one thing I found that works very well for me that helps me make my mass combat move faster is uh, I just have all the NPCs go on the same initiative. And that's including villains and heroes, you know, any allies they have. I just have them all go on the same initiative. Usually I'll let villains go first just to let them get that impact in there. And my NPCs, you know, if they're going to pick a couple off here and there, 
but really let the let the let the party you know do most of the bulk of the work of course that can be good and that can be bad I think that just uh, on, you know in my opinion you know I think yeah. that depends on the size of the, the the enemy's group you know if you have again like 50 dudes coming at the party you got to break that up you got to give the PCs some chance to work in between that because otherwise you have 50 enemies going at once and in theory with some good rolls they have a chance you know say they go first maybe you let the PCs go first okay the PCs go first now you have 50 dudes going like okay so the PCs will be dead before round two See, I agree where you're coming from, but imagine a formation in an army. They're marching up, they have their weapons ready, their commander says, aim, fire, and they all fire at the group. You got 50 crossbow bolts coming at a group of five to, you know, five to eight people, right? So, I mean, that's going to suck. But at least your PCs get to fight in the shade. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, now, I would be a little concerned about that on a, on a pacing standpoint, because I would think you'd wind up going, PC, 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 yep. and now it's the DM's turn for the next 15 minutes while he gets everybody right. to go through. Um, but that's why I said use all those dice, man. I can Yeah, and you have you you really have to do your homework ahead of time. You've got to do the prep. Make sure you have all your shortcuts in place. Make sure you know your numbers so that it doesn't turn into yeah. okay, the five of you go and now it's 15 to 20 minutes of me doing all my stuff. Right. Yeah. Um Yes, again, it all comes down to pacing. There's you know several different ways to approach it. But mass combat isn't the only thing you can do in an action setting. Uh, oh, yeah. right. You know, if you look at any action movie, in fact, a lot of the combats are smaller combats, more one-on-one things. You know, Actually, glass yeah. cannons almost to speak. Someone who's maybe going to hit the bad guy a couple times, but not really going to do a whole lot. The bad, you know, or sorry, the. The hero's going to take Hang him on. out. I'm, I'm just making a quick note. We're uh, we're going to be adding mass combat to the list of topics. We'll probably come back to a show up. Probably a good idea. <laughs> probably. Yeah. Uh, you know, so yeah, there's there's other stuff other than mass combat. Like chase scenes are huge in yeah. action. You know, like you think action movie. obstacles. Yeah, yeah, obstacles, chase scenes. You know, like yeah. you know, uh, there's you know a little bit of adventure and intrigue and you know stuff too. You know, trying to figure out spies. But I, mean, I think one of the the best ways to look for inspiration is to go to those movies um, the action films Hollywood doesn't necessarily have the highest quality but when it comes to spectacle yeah you it's hard to say that they don't know what they're doing right mm -hmm. um, one of my personal favorite ones as far as concept goes I'm not speaking anything towards the quality of the film um, but the Jason Statham film crank for those of you that aren't familiar with it I'll give you a quick rundown you know, minor plot spoilers here. Jason Statham's character is injected with a poison that gets counteracted by adrenaline. Which means, on a conceptual level, if the movie gets boring, the main character dies. Yeah. So they have to figure out a way to keep the main character's adrenaline up. So they have to find out a way to keep the action pumping. I think on a conceptual level, it's an amazing idea. It was really unique. Whether or not the execution was that great, we can argue for another day. Right, right. But I think that's something that you want to keep in mind. You want to keep things flowing, keep it moving. Remember, if things get boring, if the story gets boring, then everything goes away. Yeah. In an action movie, or uh, you know, all of the all of the dialogue and the exposition is really just to keep the plot moving. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, we did thing A, and now we learn that thing B is going on, and this is going to be the plot. Oh, no, and not we, thing B. We do some action, and we find a clue, and we go investigate the clue, brings us more action. 
you know, that's kind of the pace of an action film. You know, you, a lot of action movies start off and like you know the objective right from go. Yeah, it's exactly. just they keep putting more and more obstacles in your way, like you mentioned with obstacle, you know, obstacles yeah. a few minutes ago. Uh-huh. Like so, it's really not, it's not really you know you obviously there's the you can still do discovery and trying to figure out plot points and stuff, but a lot of it can be like. Like you said, right off the bat, okay, there's a bad guy. I know who the bad guy is, but he keeps throwing goons at me. Exactly. He keeps running away from me. You know, I got to track him down. I got to stop him. You know, they just it's just, you know, again, I, I think, I think like, you nailed it with the, the term obstacles. Like, I think that's, like, your your eight, you know, typical go-to plot point, so to speak, yeah. is in your action, you know, sequences, in your action you know, movies, your action games. It's just... Obstacle after obstacle after obstacle, whether it's a combat, whether it's a chase, whether it's, you know, a maze or something that you need to get through. I mean, but it's going to be less thinking and more moving, you know, like keep movement, keep your pacing, keep things up and going. I'm almost thinking instead of obstacle, how about complication? Yeah. Because, you know, it may not necessarily be something that's a direct hindrance. It may just be, oh, hey, here's something we just weren't told. Um, you know, we thought we were going in to rescue a cabinet minister and it turns out we were being used as assassins and now there's an alien hunting us. You know, this is... I hate when that happens. It's like all the time. Um, you know, things change the parameters but don't necessarily be a direct obstruction to the believed goal. Exactly. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't necessarily think that that replaces it, but definitely works in conjunction with it. Because, I mean, you know, if you, it's the whole, I'm after villain A, and he sends a bunch of henchmen at me, like, that's not really an unforeseen complication so much as, you know, a direct obstacle that's being put right. my way. But, yeah, they definitely work hand in hand. They're definitely very much, you know, brothers and sisters in that. They both have, a, you know, an equal place. Mm-hmm. And I think for the from you know from the running your game aspect too, there's lots of things you can do for the pacing. Again, other than just throwing a lot of combat, you know, I mentioned chases right. a couple times. Chases um, are great. I I had a superhero game I ran once, and we had sort of a chase scene. Actually, now that I think about it, it's one of the funner action sequences I remember running, because I had these essentially super cops. You know, they ended up being the bad guys, but they were all super cops. They were you know, jacked up on, like, the super steroid, and they had, like, really cool gear. Well, their gear was they had, like, jet cycles that would make them go about as fast as the characters that could fly. And there were, like, two characters that were... So there was, there was like, a, a cinematic, almost, chasing around skyscrapers and over and under bridges. And that was actually a really cool scene. And you got to... You want to add those elements in there, too, because, like we said, it's not all action. The... Just chasing a dude who's on a hover cycle or being chased by one who's, like, blasting lasers at you, mm-hmm. that can be, like, a really cool... Even if there's not a lot of damage that happens, you know, you're still, like, dodging and weaving. Yeah, you're keeping the adrenaline the intensity up. Yeah. I, I had a great game sequence once where they had to hijack a semi-truck on the highway. Yeah. And so it was a chase sequence that was going on, and there wasn't a lot of combat, but a lot of the complexity was in the fact that we've got people in different vehicles who are trying to get to and impact other vehicles on the road. Yeah. So trying to figure out how to jockey, get into position, people jumping from vehicle to vehicle at 65 miles or plus an hour. Right. You know, it really added a lot of that tension because, oh, you just, you know, you failed that role. You didn't quite make the jump. Now you have to try to see, maybe you can grab the bumper or something. Right. Now the car is dragging you at 60 miles an hour. <laughs> and that did happen to the same person like three times. <laughs> Yeah, um, 
And another thing that you can do in actions uh, games, I think, is you know you have the uh, it's fairly atypical trope for a lot of action movies where like the hero gets caught and then has to escape. You know what I mean? Right. You know those where okay, maybe it's not necessarily about the speed and the pacing so much as it is about the intensity level at that moment. Right. You know, still keeping the adrenaline up. You know, like you have like True Lies where Arnold Schwarzenegger has been, you know, hand, you know, he's captured and he's got the truth serum in him and he's you know walking around, you know, like okay, I gotta free myself, steal these guns, and you know, kill everybody. And but they're all bad. But they're yeah. all bad. They're know? all bad. And you can add a little bit of comedy to you know if it's one of those you know like, just like they did in that movie. <clears throat> You know, you can always have that be like what typically would be like the really intense moment. Like, oh man, he's captured. Maybe I'm gonna die. Like, if you add a little bit of comedy to it, that can help light heart. You know, lighten up the mood a little bit yeah. and kind of keep it more on the the fun action side, just by adding you know that slight light light hearted uh, bit to the moment. And that also adds a nice bit of contrast. Like on the one hand, like this guy is in serious trouble. He could die at any second. But he's been hopped up on these drugs, so it's it makes it even funnier that, you know, he's not in full control of his facilities at a time when, if he's not in full control of his facilities, he could die. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that gives a moment, too, like, you know, again, if you're playing, like, a, you know, like a fantasy game and you have, like, the rogues in the party and stuff like that, instead of, like, okay, well, it's all action, all, you know, like, all our actions have been combat, blah, 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 well, now we got to pick locks, escape from handcuffs, you know, you know, we get a little bit of a dungeon hacking kind of moment where you're like, okay, i got to get myself out of these, you know, out of these hand restraints, free everybody else that's in the dungeon or, or locked up how everybody else, start picking locks and start making our way out of this dungeon, but instead of it being, like, you know, your atypical dungeon hack of, like, let's be really careful there's going to be traps everywhere you know you're in a prison that people walk around in right. there's not going to be traps everywhere you just got to pick some locks and stuff so you can be a little bit more uh, free and willy nilly about it and not just be like I'm checking for traps I'm checking for traps I'm checking for right. traps yeah. just be like, pick a lock kill a guard pick a lock take yeah. out a guard pick a lock take out a guard take out some guards stealth Hide over here. Yeah. Sneak up behind this dude. Yeah. You know, because then you get the complication. Neck. Like, okay, get ready to kill the guard. We pick the lock, and oh, that's not a guard. That's a mailroom clerk. Yeah. Yep. You know what do we do there? So you know, it mixes it up a little bit. You know, you know, it can give you a second where you have a little bit of downtime, but things are still happening. You know, but you can still keep that intensity up, and you can offer some opportunities for other people in the party other than just your fighter with his big axe. Um. Again, on the back to the combat uh, topic, like I, I touched on for a minute earlier, um, another way to keep your pacing up, I think, would be, again, if you're not worried about the mechanics side of it, is to just like really have your players talk out what they're doing, you know, role played out. Like, okay, I'm going to take, you know, and I've talked about this in other episodes. You, know, I, you know, I swing my mighty axe and I cleave the goblin in two. You know, I take, you know, before his his cleaved torso hits the ground, I'm going to, you know, do like a front kick and kick it into another goblin and, and just really have fun with it. I mean, if you're going for like an over-the-top kind of hack-and-slash action kind of game, just, you know, give a lot of liberties. I'm like, okay, you rolled really high on your damage. I'm going to let you actually cleave this goblin in two. You have a second attack. You, you know, that, you know, mechanically, you kick this goblin's torso into the other goblin. I'm yeah. going to do that as like an improvised weapon. He takes four points of bludgeoning damage, and, you know, you knock down the goblin behind him. And people are like, dude, that was freaking awesome. Yeah. You know, like, that was fun. You're like, I had fun on my turn. Yeah. 
what can you do? Then all of a sudden you have this little, not necessarily a competition, but like everyone else is like, well, if he got to do that kind of thing, what can I do? Right. What can I do? Hey, yeah. can I shoot a magic missile, you know, but instead of targeting the goblin, can I target the stalactite that's hanging over the goblin's head in this cave and have the, you know, the thing fall down and impale the goblin? Hell yes, you can. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. encourage you to do that. I agree with that. I'd say be, um, for action sort of deals, be very liberal with character ideas. Yeah, and I know that there are some games that take those that take that concept and make it into a mechanic. Yeah. Um, specifically, the two that pop into mind are Exalted has the bonuses for stunts mm-hmm. and uh, a little lesser known, but it's called Feng Shui and it's about Hong Kong action films and the martial arts. And the game system itself really encourages players to be really descriptive to fit that thematic of, of the high-flying action f- sequence. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say definitely don't in any way, shape, or form penalize your players for trying to do anything cool or out of yeah. sight of the box. Not during this type of game anyways. I mean, if yeah. you want to, you know, some games, you know, D&D can be one of those games, especially in the past, a little less so in 5th edition, whereas it kind of really punished your players for wanting to do cool stuff. Oh, you want to jump off the branch and land on another branch? Okay, well, roll 37 D20s for acrobatics and balance and this, that, and the other thing. When uh, really, you know, you should be like, no, dude, that's awesome. That's the kind of thing that your character should be doing. You're this awesome, stealthy rogue dude. Like, jump from branch to branch to branch. Like, all right, just make a generic, you know, athletics check, you know, DC 12, whatever. It's not that complicated for you. All right, boom. Okay, yeah, you can run branch to branch all day long. Or you have a fighter in the middle of the fight. Like, oh, the hobgoblin leers at you. Well, I want to deck him in the face. I just want to punch him with my offhand. Mm Mm-hmm. And some of these older editions were like, okay, well, you're making an unarmed strike, so that counts as your regular attack, and you're not proficient, so you're going to provoke an attack of opportunity, so you're being penalized for doing that, or you, know, you should just be able to do as a flavor, like he leers at you, I'm like, okay, I'm going to punch him, okay, you punch him, and he spits out blood and glares and you know goes at it, and you don't yeah. even have to make it a mechanical yeah, thing. Don't, don't make a roll, don't do damage, yeah. just say, yeah, you get him, he gets all pissed, and you guys go at it, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, absolutely, like... What does it really like? All you're doing is bringing flavor to your game. You're not ruining it. You're not hindering yourself as exactly. a DM or GM. Like you're just you're bringing fun to the game. And the more fun that your players have, the more they're going to remember your games. The more they're going to want to yeah. play with you. I mean, it all works to your advantage. It sounds a little elitist, but after we started doing this in our own groups, like looking at other people's groups and you know listening to how they do and they talk about stuff and they talk about how cool it was that they rolled a natural twenty and then I rolled a lot of damage so I hurt him really badly as opposed to you know my story of when you know I came in and I caught the guy in the stomach with my war hammer and launched him off the balcony and he crashed to the ground below through the table and everybody looked up and I yelled a challenge down at them and they started rushing for the stairs and I rushed to the stairs to get to the choke point first and all this and telling this whole epic story without mentioning a single number or roll mm-hmm. yeah. it's just it it's, just feels more Fun rather than just talking about numbers and yeah. and roles. Yeah. yeah, does sound elitist. But uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're yeah. A jerk. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, I, I, see what you're, I see what you're saying. The 
I don't. I don't think of it as elitist so much as I want to help these people make their games. <laughs> yeah. Oh, honey. Oh, sweetie. Oh, dear. I'm, that's something an elitist would. Say. I'm not being an elitist. I'm trying to enlighten the lesser yeah. people. <laughs> you're, you're looking down at them. Oh, honey. Oh, sweetie. Oh, oh, baby doll. No, I'm sorry. Oh, oh, oh. no. Um, it but, is the skilled gamer's burden. But no, that is a good point. I mean, yes, as a gamer, it's always fun when the big numbers happen. It's like, oh God, that's awesome. But. What else is awesome is the the memory of a thing. If you can visualize, you know, you know exactly what Jerry said just there. You know, he hits him with a hammer, throws the guy off the balcony, rushes for the choke point. You know, that's that's a thing that you remember that your character did, and that's just that's awesome. Even yeah. if there's no numbers involved. Yeah, well, I mean, especially again, it, it all depends on every group's going to have their own styles, and you know, again, going back to previous episodes, we we're talking about knowing your players. Some players want to just hear big numbers, like to them, yeah, big yeah. numbers is success. You know, you know, they're used to playing MMOs or you know, or whatever games, and like big numbers is good, and they're just they're programmed to like that's their gratification. Like, I want to hear a big number, but yeah. for a lot of people, like. A big number doesn't mean anything to them other than like, well, I know that a big number is good, so I guess that's what I want. Right. Um, you know, but some DMs might reinterpret. Like I played with DMs, and I've done it a little bit in the past. You know, we're like, you tell me your numbers, and then I reinterpret that, and I tell you the story of what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and so- that's perfectly fine. You know, that's you know dep- again, again depends on your group dynamic, but I think it takes a lot of the burden off the DM if the players are helping with that. You tell me what you're doing. You know, with your player, I'll tell you what I'm doing with the NPCs. Like, okay, you, you know, impaled and, you know, cut this orc in half. Well, now the orc general is going to come over and, like, try to cut you up. All right, you know what I mean? And we have this back and forth. You know, instead of me telling everyone what's happening all the time, especially when, like, you know your character, you know how you envision your character, you can tell me what you think your character would be doing better than I can. I know that you rolled a big number, so I say, uh... You cut the leg off the orc, and you're like, no, I friggin' cut this dude down the middle and kicked his torso right. into the dude behind him. Like, oh, fr- yeah, that's what you did. And you know, <laughs> you, you actually, you actually uh, bring up a, a good suggestion there as well. You know, if you want your players to start describing their action more, just take it. I say take it out of their hands, but I'm saying that with air quotes. Mm-hmm. When when you when they do that good damage, you know, and they do that, and you say, yeah, you chop his leg right off, mm-hmm. you know, and you just start doing that every time someone does a thing, and eventually someone's like, well, no, I do it like this, and be like, yeah, you totally do. Yeah, you do. You know, <laughs> because that's the way they thought of it, that's mm-hmm. the way they want to do it, yeah. so give it to them. It's very much a lead by example kind of thing. Again, you know, like also like with the concept of you want people to talk in accents and role play more, then you need to do it yourself as a GM. You know, you gotta, you gotta lead the, the charge on that. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I personally think that getting people to be more descriptive in combat is a great deal, you know, or a huge thing that I like to do. You know, again, I didn't do it in my last game, Strands, very much but at all, I don't think. But, uh, you know, in games before that, I've really stressed that I've really pushed it. You know, I would typically tell people at the onset, like, you're fighting, okay, you're fighting orcs, their AC is this. Instead of, like, wait, you know, instead of a guessing game of, like, oh, well, I didn't hit him on an 11. Oh, we hit him on a 14, but maybe you can hit him on a 13. Oh, oh, oh 12 is the magic number when you yeah. finally hit it. I just, like, this is their AC. Now you know if you hit or not. If you hit, you tell me what you do. Right. You know, roll your damage and make, you know make sure it makes sense. Like if you don't, you know if you if you didn't kill him, you didn't kill him. But like, okay, you hit on a twelve. This is their AC is twelve. Okay, you hit. You did three damage. You know how how are you affecting them with the three damage with your club? Okay, well you know maybe I broke his arm a little bit. Yeah. You, know, you know. Okay. Okay. Sure. And, and and you know what? Honestly, that's another really good way to streamline that. You know, the the characters aren't like guessing what's the AC of this monster. Yeah, yeah. You know, you tell them, okay, guys, you're going to hit on a fourteen or better. 
Mm-hmm. So just let me know if you hit and yeah. tell me what the damage is. I did do that a little, quite a bit in um, strands, yeah. as I recall. Like you know, like this is the AC, just so you know, because it's like to me, I get the concept of the guessing game. I get the whole like, okay, well, you can't start min maxing or munchkining if you don't know the AC. Like, oh well, I better just use the best things that I can until I know I can hit this thing, you know. But I, to me, it's like. You know your character. Your character knows himself. Your character knows what weapons he's good with. He knows how to fight. And whether he's fought one of these things before or not, he knows when he hits. You know what I mean? So, like, you know, here's the number. Like, you know when you hit. Tell me what you do. Right. If you miss, tell me how you missed. Don't just say you missed. Oh, well, I went to swing, but he dodged out of the way. And, you know, I I think I got, you know, I was, you know, say you needed a 12 and you rolled an 11. Okay, like I nicked, I cut a little bit of hair off his head as he dodged his head out of the way, you know. But he comes around and he's ready to, you know, come in swinging at me. And I'm a little bit off balance because my axe missed. And, you know, it threw me off to the side because I threw everything I had into it. You know, and so now I feel like my side's exposed. Like, all right, sweet. Well, now when that guy goes to attack you, I'm going to take that into account. No mechanical negatives or anything like that. It's not like you're more open. But if he hits, I'm going to say, all right, well, since your side was open, he hits you in the side, nails you in the ribs with his, you know, his battle club, you know, cracks a rib, you know, stumbles you back a couple feet. Again, not changing anything mechanically. You're still within the five-foot radius, you know, know, if you're playing D&D. Right. But, you know, it just adds a lot more flavor. Just something in reference to the five-foot radius that I uh, found online was looking on a, a message board. They were talking about it, and because they were discussing 5th edition and the changes with the 5-foot step, and they said, go outside and mark a 5-foot radius, so a 10-foot diameter. Stand in the middle of that and look at how much you can move around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or just do, you know, a, a scratch out a 5-foot by 5-foot square and see how much space you have to move around it and realize that you can do quite a bit without ever leaving that square, air quotes. Right, Yeah. 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 Another thing, too, is movement. Even if it's unnecessary, move your piece. Mm-hmm. And, and what I mean by this is I was actually in a game recently where uh, I uh, my player was forced into, like, a, a, um, or sorry, my character was forced into, a, like, a gladiatorial <laughs> event. And so for the fun of it, as a player, I'm like, okay, and I kind of, like, move around the guy and I go behind him, you know, didn't really go behind him. I just moved my piece to a different spot, mm-hmm. and then I made my attack. And the GM was like, "All right, cool, match that," and like kind of also moved. So even though all it really is is I roll to see if I hit you, I do damage. You roll to see if you hit me, we do damage. We turned a back and forth fight, you know, which could be you know, meh, whatever, into. Yeah, we're going to play with moving our pieces before we attack. Mm-hmm. We're just going to make the fight look fun visually. Yeah, yeah. and that's a huge advantage, like, again, going back to Dungeons & Dragons, 5th edition, why I'm a huge fan of that edition, too, is they, they freed up the movement in that system so oh, much. I love it. You know, in 3.5, it was move and attack or attack and move, and that was it. Unless you had the spring attack cheat, uh, uh, feet chain, you weren't moving, attacking, and moving. You know what I mean? Right. But in 5th edition, as long as you move, can only move up to your total movement, you can move 5 feet, attack... Move five feet, attack. Yeah. Move five feet, attack. Move ten feet, attack. If you're like a 17th level fighter with four attacks and you have a 30 foot movement, you can move five feet, attack, move five feet, attack, move ten feet, attack, move ten feet, attack. You're moving 30 feet and attacking four times. And like, 
you think you had to have like greater cleave in 3.5 to I kill a dude, move, kill a dude, move. You know, if you didn't have greater cleave, you only had cleave. It was like, well, I can I can't move anywhere, but as long as they're surrounding me, I can kill right. more than one dude. Right now, fifth so. edition is like I just cleave through the friggin' people. Yeah, <laughs> back to the actual genre discussion. <laughs> um, but, but while we're talking about combat, this was something else that I thought should be brought up for action for the action genre is your antagonists, which we spoke about earlier, should be very. It should be a very black and white distinction between the antagonist and the protagonist. Yeah, right. It's, don't bother getting into the nuances of the shades of gray. Let your villains be villains. Yep. Um, don't worry about bogging it down in the moral ambiguities of, am I shooting the right person in the face? Right. For, for straight up action, definitely. I mean, you know, look at any real like action flick, you know, ever. You look into the 80s, some of the best action movies ever made, you know. Uh, we're in we're in kind of that time frame. the The villains were very clear cut. Mm-hmm. You know, you knew who the hero was. You knew who the villains were. I mean, they could be deep, complex, charismatic. Um, sure specifically, I'm thinking of Hans Gruber from yeah. Die Hard. He's a very interesting, very deep, very nuanced character. Yeah, but clearly the villain. Yeah, and and with Die Hard, you know, they made the, the like you said, they had the one twist was that they're not actually terrorists. They're just using the FBI procedures to actually get what they want, which is to steal things. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it turns out they were just robbing the place, which is a fun little twist. And I actually use Die Hard. I kind of think mathematically, like, okay, if I'm going to run a solo game and I'm going to have a John McClane go through a tower of bad guys, one of the things I'll do to keep things action-y is think of hit points. You know, how many hit points does McClane have? Well, maybe he's only got 80 hit points, so I don't want to do more than 80 hit points, you know, throughout most of the game. So when I have, like, the guys that he first faces come after him, I'm going to make sure they're only doing, like, you know, five or six hit points at a time. There's going to be, like, 12 of them, you know, and he's going to, like, one-shot most of them. You know, there might be an obstacle here or there, a table he has to crawl under before he can hit the guy, or mm-hmm. stairs he's going to fall down. There's going to be other areas that could damage him, but you kind of want to almost know, like, like I guess, divide up how, all of his hit points into your different bad guys. And, and then the big bad is the one who's like, he's going to do like a third of his hit points. Mm-hmm. And I think you also, for uh, emulating the action genre, is there should be healing that's not your traditional healing. Yeah. Um, you know, just the character being able to stop, take a breath, you know, grab a drink of water, pull the glass out of his feet, you know, let him, let the character in-game mechanically recover some hit points. Right. That way it doesn't feel like it's becoming, yeah. okay, hit points are something I have to ration out, and if I lose too many on this battle, then I can't make it all the way yeah. to the end of the story. Yeah, there's some alter mechanics on healing and stuff like that, and doing yeah. various systems. Like again, you know, I know fifth edition, you know, pretty well, and there's a variant in DMG that has, you know, like turning short rest from like your atypical like one hour to like a five minute short rest. Right, like, fourth edition did that. Yeah, so like you, so you can you the whole thing being the whole concept is to make it so your your PCs can be more quote unquote heroic. Right, you know, so by making it so they can rest quicker and faster and recover faster, they can, so they can handle more. Exactly. What action movie do you watch where the hero just like in the middle of you know going through the thing he's going through, get goes into a closet and waits for an hour? Yeah. 
Yeah. Never. It's never no. going to happen. No, we have John McClane in the bathroom pulling glass out of his feet for yeah. five minutes, yeah. and then he goes on and kills some more dudes. Exactly. <laughs> uh, one thing, actually, one trick that I did, and you can you can do this in your games, is think of like uh, like Diablo. They have mana potions. So if you have spellcasters, maybe you're running a game where there's point-based uh, spellcasting, so you only have such a pool that you can do. Give them a potion or, or something that re- replenishes some of their magic. You know, or maybe you can create a potion of, you know, vitality in a D&D world where it's like, okay, you're going to get three spell slots back. Here, drink this potion of second level spell slot. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, and it's something that isn't really in the mechanic because right. the idea that is that, you know, you're supposed to be limited when it comes to spell casting. But in a more action-y style game... You're going to be putting your characters through a lot, so you're you're going to be blasting spells. Yeah, even if a class normally doesn't do it, you might say during a five minute short rest you can get a spell slot back. Exactly. Yeah. And the, I, as a DM, have just hand wave stuff. Uh, we had that uh, in my most recent. I had to do my my season finale for my current campaign because we had to stop. And before we went into the final battle, it was one of those things that's like, well, the heroes should really be rested for this final battle, but because of the way things have been going, they don't have the eight hours to take that long rest. So as a DM, I said, okay, you guys get your stuff together. You're all set. You're ready to go. You're pumped up. You have the effect of a long rest because you guys are going to give it your all at this. Yep. And so just as a DM, I just hand-waved him. Like, I'm giving you that recovery because it's going to make that final sequence all the more impressive. Yep. yep. And it really did. It worked. I think, yeah, I think it did. Yeah, and on the antagonist, I, I think, you know, to touch on that again real quick before we, uh, we wrap this up. Yeah. You know, I think for the action genre, I think not only sh- you know, saying the whole concept of, like, it should be clear, you know, black and white who your antagonist is. Uh-huh. I think, it should, you know, I want to specify that you don't have to know the name of the dude. You don't have to have him right. be identified to the fact that, like, I know for a fact that Hans Gruber is the bad guy, but I know for a fact that, like, you know, in the Die Hard situation, or, like, I keep thinking of Under Siege, like, I know that, you know, someone has taken over this battleship. Yeah. You know what I mean? I might not know what he looks like, I might not know his name, but I know that there are terrorists on this, you know, this ship, yeah. and I know that I need to stop them. Like, there's, there's a very clear black and white, like, either you're, you know, a captive that was on the ship, and you're in the military, or you're a terrorist that's on the ship that's trying to take over the ship. You know, like, black and white, I don't need to know your name, I don't need to know who you are, or what you look like, I just, when I see you, I know. Right. Which, again, um, was actually played with wonderfully in Die Hard, when... John McClane met Hans Gruber not knowing that Hans Gruber was yeah. Hans Gruber. Yeah. And they had that the nice interaction there as they, the audience knew, but right. the characters didn't. Yeah, and it was great because all of the bad guys were clearly defined. They were, you know, in, you know, uh, uh, gear that they could move around in. Uh, you know, they were basically in combat gear, not uniforms, but combat gear. They all had guns strapped to them. So every time he saw a bad guy, he knew what to look for. Hans Gruber showed up with no gun strapped yeah. to him and in a business suit. Yeah, in a suit. Yeah, so yeah. he clearly thought, oh, this guy's with the party, because he didn't know anybody in the tower. Yeah. So he's clearly this guy's with the party. And of course, Hans was smart enough talking in an American accent. Yeah. But McLean was smart enough to give him an unloaded gun. Yep. <laughs> it's not loaded. What do you think? I'm stupid. <laughs> well, we are. We are going to have to wrap this up. Um, I do want to give one kind of last little piece to fit in that has worked for me as a DM tip that also kind of fits in with the the whole 
continually referencing the Die Hard, you know, and here with John McClane meeting Hans Gerber, um, one of the tips that was given to me that I like to use that I think is wonderful is actually regarding the betrayals, double crossings. Um, there are, it was told to me that there are two types of betrayals that you should use in a game. One, the PCs never see coming because there's absolutely no clue to it and it's this shocking twist. And the other one, they see coming a mile away mm. and can't do anything to stop it. So you can use one of those and it makes for a wonderful moment when it finally does happen. Sure does. All right, so we're going to wrap it up for today. We will see you next time that we're in the studio. In the meantime, you can feel free to contact us on our message boards, follow us on Twitter at GMS Studios, and, of course, look us up on Facebook. Let us know if there's anything you'd like us to cover or if you have any commentary on the shows today. We will uh, do our best to respond to everybody, and we will see you next time we're here. Bye.